Uh, I, having given the task of preaching on 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 21 and 22, um, Servants Church has been preaching through the book of um, 1 and 2 Chronicles since I think it was the end of August, and, and so I am uh, continuing that today. Um, now, I know that this has been said before, but originally 1 and 2 Chronicles was one very long book. Uh, and uh, it, it was originally at the very end of the Old Testament. So it was kind of a, a bit of a conclusion, really, to the whole uh, Old Testament. And it, it focuses on a few things. And as you can probably see on the screen, it might say, uh, it might say throne and the temple. The temple yes. And, uh, and, and so that is really uh, two major themes of this book. It focuses on the role of the king. Uh, and it focuses on the role of the temple. And, and the king is, is, is sort of a metaphor for God's ruling. And the temple is, is like, uh, is the focus of God's presence. But this book also focuses on God's promises. And we're going to talk more about God's promises this week. Um, last week, John was speaking on uh, the king Jehoshaphat. Warning, there's lots of long names today. <laughs> FYI. Lots of long names, so bear with me on the pronunciation. But last week, John spoke uh, on Jehoshaphat, who generally was a good king. He, he certainly made some mistakes, uh, but he, was, uh, he, he sought after God and he found mercy. And so what we have in the, the chapters I'm looking at this week, chapters 21 and 22 of 2 Chronicles, um, what we're looking at is uh, two very bad, evil kings. And so we see a big contrast between the way that Jehoshaphat lived uh, and did his reign and a different uh, with uh, the evil kings uh, in these chapters. And so we want to uh, see some of those contrasts. So I'm going to, you might find yourself flicking uh, back to the previous few chapters. If you've got your Bibles out, it's helpful to be able to see that uh, so quickly after you had a good king in uh, chapters uh, 19 and 20, we have these wicked kings in, in, in chapters 21 and 22. Just to give you a quick uh, bullet points of some of the things that we're going to uh, hear in these passages today. Um, we're going we're gonna to find out what happens. So we've got four things. We're going to find out what happens when uh, we're not content in what God has given us. And we're going to learn about how important it is to surround ourselves. The second point, to surround ourselves with the right people. Thirdly, we're going to learn about uh, God's faithfulness. And fourthly, we're going to learn uh, about the consequences of our sin and our deep need for God's mercy. So let's, uh, let's go on. Um, I'm going to start by reading um, uh, verses 1 to 7. So 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1 to 7. In fact, I'm going to pick up my Bible because it's just too small writing to read from the stand here. It says, Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver, gold, and valuable possessions, together with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram, because he was the firstborn. When Jehoram had ascended the throne of his father and was established, he killed all his brothers with the sword and also some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done 
for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So Jehoshaphat, as we talked about a second ago and last week, uh, quite a good king. And as he dies, he's buried with the other kings. And he, uh, and he has his son, Jehoram, the firstborn, uh, reign in his place. And he had all these brothers. And, and Jehoshaphat seems to have been quite clever because he gave all these brothers uh, towns, um, fortified cities, where they could have some responsibility. But it also meant that they were spread out over the country. So they weren't an immediate threat to Jehoram. They weren't any immediate threat. And yet, we see in verse 4 that once Jehoram had ascended to the throne, he killed all of his brothers with the sword. And he also killed some of the princes of Israel. Why, Why did he do this? I mean, his brothers were not a threat to him. There's no indication that his brothers were a threat to him. These princes of Israel, there's no, there's no reason why he needed to go and kill these, uh, these men. My, uh, my feeling when I read this is that maybe he was very insecure. He didn't realise that he had inherited the throne, that that's something he'd received. It was his birthright for him to have the throne. And yet his insecurity, it seems, leads him to start killing And as we see later on, he makes lots of decisions that aren't good. And I wonder if it actually stems from insecurity. And I did a little bit of research on insecurity. And insecurity seems to lead us in two different areas. It can either lead us to become very, if you're insecure, it can lead you to become withdrawn and isolate yourself. Or it can lead you to be aggressive. And it can lead you to, to say the least, become a bit of a bully. And as we see here, this uh, new king of Jehoram, some of the first things he does is kill his brother's He tries to hold on and um, protect his throne. He doesn't want anyone to take that away. I sometimes think that we do that a little bit. We start to become a bit controlling and a bit aggressive sometimes when when we're not secure. We don't sometimes appreciate the inheritance that we've received from God, the fact that actually he has placed us in a position uh, where we cannot be moved. And as uh, hopefully is on the screen, it says here in Colossians 1, verse 11 to 14, it says, May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And so we need these, this to be our identity, that we have this inheritance that won't be taken away from us. Now, I, can't, I don't want to imagine what it's like if everything can just be swept from underneath my feet. I don't want to start to be aggressive and to take what I think is mine, but I want to trust God who has purchased me, he's brought me into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son. This is where I stand And this is where Jehoram stood. He was in the line of David. He was a descendant of David, where there are great promises given, which we'll talk about in a minute. There was no reason why he shouldn't feel confident in his throne. And yet he killed his brothers. He took it into his own hands. He took his security into his own hands. And as we'll see, that doesn't go well for him. The next point I want us to see in verse 6 is that 
he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And we'll find out a little bit about this mysterious, at this point, daughter of Ahab uh, in the minute. But it says uh, that it was because of this that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we have to recognise that when we surround ourselves with people and when we listen out for people, uh, listen to the wisdom of people who maybe aren't walking or don't value the things of God, that actually that's, that's not wise counsel. We want to be trying to spend time with people who uh, will lead us and will encourage us in uh, the things of God. And certainly he should have known that, uh, that listening to the daughter of Ahab, who was a very wicked king of Israel, uh, was not a good move. And we'll talk more about this later. The last point from this section I really want to bring out in verse 7, it says, uh, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Now, it's interesting that at this point, just when we've been introduced to maybe the first evil king of Judah, of this country of Judah, we are introduced and we're reminded of the promises to his, uh, I think, great, great, great grandfather, David. And the promises, hopefully, are on your screen. And this promise comes from 1 Chronicles 17. It says, Furthermore, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you. So this is a promise to David. A dynasty of kings, for when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me. And I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my favour from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time. And his throne will be secure forever. And we know this was partially fulfilled with Solomon, but we know it was ultimately fulfilled with Jesus. Uh, But the people who originally read 1 and 2 Chronicles, the people who it was written for, didn't know when this king was coming. And so there's a timely reminder here that even though, we're, even though we're introduced to an evil king, that God remembers his promises that he will not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he's made. And we still live in that situation now, in a sense, don't we? That we sometimes don't know what's going on. We don't know. Uh, things are getting pretty bad. Maybe we have bad leadership as a country or maybe there's uh, some virus that's really messing up our lives. But actually, we still have promises and God is still faithful to these promises. And we need to be reminded that even though we feel sometimes a bit lost, I mean, there's an evil king, bad things are happening. Uh, What about what we were promised? God has not forgotten. God has not forgotten the promises uh, that are for us. Sorry. Right. So now I'm going to read a big chunk. We're going to move on from verse 8 to the very end of chapter 21, uh, because really what we're going to see is the consequences uh, of the uh, evil reign of uh, Jehoram. So let's go with me. Verse 8. In his days, Jehoram's days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Jehoram passed over with his commanders and all his chariots, and he rose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and his chariot commanders. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. At that time, Libna 
also revolted from his rule because he had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. Let's keep going. Moreover, he made high places in the hill country of Judah and led the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom and made Judah go astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have enticed Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom, as the house of Ahab led Israel into whoredom. And also you have killed your brothers of your father's house who are better than you. Behold, the Lord will bring a great plague on your people, your children, your wives and all your possessions. And you yourself will have a severe sickness with the disease of your bowels until your bowels come out because of the disease day by day. And the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the anger of the Philistines uh, and of the Arabians who are near the Ethiopians. And they came up against Judah and invaded it and carried all the possessions they found that belonged to the king's house. And also his sons and wives, that no one, no son, sorry, was left to him except Jehoahaz, his youngest son. And after all this, the Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease. In the course of time, at the end of two years, his bowels came out because of the disease and he died in great agony. His people made no fire in his honour, like the fires made for his father's. He was 32 years old when he began to reign and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem and he departed with no one's regret. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. So going through this this story, so uh, right after that, we just before verses one to seven is that kind of introduction to his reign. Uh, And in verse eight, uh, Edom revolts uh, against the rule of Judah. And Edom was actually uh, kind of a nearby country which was under the rule of of Judah uh, since King David's time. And so uh, for all this time, for hundreds of years, it's been uh, been under the rule and there's there's not been any talk about it. Uh, And yet now they seem to be wanting to set up their own uh, king. And Jehoram kind of rushes in with all his chariots. No, you're not going to have independence. We're going to conquer. We're going to keep you under our... Uh, rule and it, it doesn't really say exactly the details of what happened but he, he doesn't manage it on top of that uh, Libna which seems to be uh, there's a lot of discussion in all the books about it but it seems to, seems to be a priestly city uh, kind of a holy city and uh, they also revolt to, his, to the rule to, to uh, King Jehoram's rule and so right after he was trying to secure his throne, killing his brothers, killing the princes of, for, of Israel, he starts to lose the kingdom that he's inherited. Because he would try to hold it in his own strength, he starts to lose it. He starts to lose it. And, and, and why is, is a really key word in verse 10. It says, because he had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. He'd forsaken the Lord. Forsaken he forsook, it just means walked away from, walked, walked away from, didn't want anything to do with the Lord anymore. On top of that, verse 11, he made high places in the hill country. If you don't know what that means, that means he, he put um, idol worship at the centre on these hills outside all the towns. 
so that the local people could go and could worship false gods up on the hills. I don't know how well you know the Ten Commandments, but I mean, one of the clear Ten Commandments is that you shall not commit adultery. And here is the king setting up an opportunity for all the people in the country to uh, commit uh, idolatry. And it says as well that he, uh, he led the people into whoredom. Now, the word whoredom, I mean, that's a horrible word, isn't it? Whoredom, I don't like it. Um, it has kind of a, a double meaning in one sense. Uh, the, the people were literally maybe actually doing sexual things to these idols. These are often fertility gods. Asher and Baal were known as fertility gods. Uh, and so actually, I don't want to know exactly what they had to do. But they had to do some horrible things, sometimes sexually, to kind of get the, to please these gods and to kind of get something back. But also we have to remember the relationship that we, that the people of Israel and we are called to with God. That it's actually, a really good comparison is the husband-wife relationship. That God is like our husband and we are like the, uh, the bride, like the wife. Uh, you have to remember as well, this uh, Jehoram is a descendant of Solomon who um, is supposed to have written the Song of Songs. They knew all about love and they knew all about that beautiful um, relationship and how that was supposed to mirror uh, our relationship with God. And so uh, by essentially doing stuff at the, at the high places, by committing adultery, you, they were cheating. They were committing adultery with their, their real husband, uh, God. And so in a sense, they committed uh, uh, they've done whoredom as it's worded here and so you see these things he's forsaken the lord he has uh, put up idolatry and he's led the people into whoredom now we have to remember as well i mean it's a really cl- clear contrast to the chapter before as john read last week in uh two chronicles uh chapter 20 verse 3 and 4 it says jehoshaphat was terrified by this news this was the news, sorry, of, uh, of people invading. So when Jehoshaphat heard that people were invading, he was terrified and he begged the Lord for guidance. And he ordered everyone in Jerusalem, in Judah, sorry, to begin fasting. So people uh, from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Now here, when people are revolting and later on in verses uh, 16... The Philistines and the Arabians are invading and there's no sign here at all that he is seeking uh, the Lord's help. There's no begging the Lord for guidance here. He's not seeking after the Lord. He forsook the Lord. And what about us? What about us when we forsake God and when we set up idols? I think now sometimes when we picture an idol, we still picture up on the hill, don't we? We still picture... Uh, or, or maybe if you've travelled a bit, you might have... I've been to India a long time ago, and in the shops you'd see um, little idols in, in the shop. Or uh, I've been to Thailand as well, and you see all these kind of stereotypical idols, really. You know, things made of gold that people would bow down to and burn incense to. And, uh, and, but, so we sometimes think that we're above it, that we don't have idols in our, in our country as such. But actually, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our hearts. It's anything that we live for, essentially. Because as Christians, we're called to live for him. We're called to follow him. But actually, when we start to follow other things, whether it be um, a certain YouTube channel, whether it's a certain movie series, you know, sometimes I think, do I live for um, God or do I live for the next Marvel movie that comes out? 
Um, I'm very excited about a lot of things, and that's okay. I'm allowed to be excited about Marvel, but what do I live for? What do I live for? Do I live for just the next Marvel movie? Do I live for... Um, do I live for my car? Do I live for um, even my relationships? Or do I live for God? And so we're given a choice. We're given a choice. And hopefully on the screen, you'll see Deuteronomy 11:26, And this was the choice given to the people of Israel. It says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. We're not supposed to follow gods in our, that we've made. We're supposed to follow God and we're supposed to follow him. Of course, there are consequences to our sin and that's really what we're, we're looking at here. We're looking at the consequences of sin. It says in uh, Romans 6 verse 23, the New Testament, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I should probably talk a bit more about consequences. We've seen uh, the sin of Jehoram. We've seen what he's done to this country of Judah. And we see the consequences. It's prophesied by Elijah in this letter. And then it happens. He loses. He's already lost Edom and Libna. He's lost his possessions and he's going to lose his family, all of his sons, apart from one. And he loses his life eventually in a horrible, agonising way. And lastly, even once he's died, he loses his legacy. The people don't grieve over his death. There are consequences to his sin, both in the material but in a spiritual sense. There are consequences to his sin. But as I read before in Romans 6, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have to talk about this, otherwise it's just all doom and gloom, isn't it? We have to talk about the fact that actually God hasn't left us in this pattern of living in sin that leads to death. He's given us Jesus Christ who died and took our sin away. He's given us eternal life. And it's been very good, if I may say so myself, that I've been teaching my son Bible verses. And we've, the, the most obvious one to go to is John 3.16. And so actually it's helped me as well because I've been memorising Bible verses too. And it, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not die, shall not perish, but will have eternal life. God doesn't want to leave us in our sin and the cycle of the consequences, but he wants to give us eternal life. And so he invites you and me into that today. But talking about consequences, we need to turn to uh, Romans 8 and see what happens once we have, once we belong to Christ Jesus, once we have, have received this eternal life. What happens to these consequences? It says in Romans 8 verse 1 and 2, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, we will still struggle with sin and we may still face earthly consequences, but it won't lead us to death. And the spiritual, especially the spiritual side of it in this life is taken away. There is no condemnation. And of course, we do believe, and I mean, this is probably for another message, but we do believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth in the future where even there won't even be any earthly consequences because sin just won't 
exist anymore. We look forward to that day, but as I say, another message. Um, Right, and we'll come back to that at the end. Okay, we've seen the consequences of one evil king's reign. Let's move on to chapter 22. I've no idea how I'm doing for time, but I'm going to assume it's good. Um, So, chapter 22, it follows a lot of similar themes. We actually get into another king, another evil king, who makes a lot of the same mistakes as the king before. So let us read verses 1 to 4. Conveniently, this chapter is a bit shorter than the previous one. So let's read verses 1 to 4. It says, chapter 22, verse 1 to 4, And the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. Sorry, before I keep going, Ahaziah is the same son that survived uh, in the end of chapter 21. It says um, that there was, this is verse 17 of chapter 21, it says that, no son was left to him except Jehoahaz, his youngest son. And for some reason, I'm not a Hebrew expert, but they changed his name to Ahaziah in chapter 22. But it's the same king. Okay, sorry, let's go. Um, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counsellor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counsellors to his undoing. So again, as we saw before, it looks like the same woman, the same wife of our previous king Jehoram, is now obviously the mother of the next king. And she leads him in doing some wicked, wicked things. And we now find out her name, Athaliah. Now he doesn't learn from his father's mistakes, does he though? He doesn't learn from his father's mistakes. Uh, But he's responsible, isn't he, for his own actions here. We can't just blame the fact that it was his father that was a sinner uh, and therefore he was raised not that great or that his mother gave him very bad advice and led him towards wickedness. It doesn't say say that he was swept up away in the... that he was swept up in the way of King Ahab. It says he followed their counsel. It says he walked in the way of King Ahab. He deliberately, he was walking in it. And he listened to his mother, which obviously is, is generally a good thing. We should honour our, our parents. But also we need to recognise when people are not positive influences in our lives. Uh, now, hopefully there are two quotes on the screen. Uh, these are two inspirational quotes that I found. These aren't Christian. These are just inspirational quotes. And it says... Always surround yourself with people who are better than you. If you're hanging around bad people, they're going to start bringing you down. But if you surround yourself with good people, they're going to be pulling you up. That was a great quote by the great Donny Osmond. Um, The next one is associate yourself with people who think positively. You cannot surround yourself with negative people and expect positive outcomes. Now, these may be inspirational quotes that, um, that are shared a lot, but really we have to ask ourselves as Christians, in these two definitions, who are the people that are better than you? 
Who are bad people? Who are the good people? Who are the people that think positively? And who are the people that think negatively? Because as Christians, for us, we're trying to follow God. And we're trying to walk in godly ways. And that's hard enough as it is. And so if we surround ourselves with other people who are also pursuing God, then we're going to land ourselves in good company. But if we surround ourselves in people who don't care about what God thinks, who don't don't care about God, then we're really going to struggle in our walk with God. In fact, it says it really clearly on the next slide. uh, It says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 16, it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can the light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So that's another inspirational quote straight from the New Testament. Uh, It's hard. It is hard. It is hard. But we have to face the reality that if we're born again, if we've been born by the Spirit, and the Spirit leads us and starts transforming us to become more Christ-like, that there is a difference between people who are born again and people who are not. There there is a difference between people who have received the light, uh, who are trying to live in the light, who are trying to live for Christ, between people who aren't. And so we need to be surrounding ourselves with people who have those same values as us, so that we can be focused. This morning we were praying a lot. I was praying with John and I was, we were praying as a group. Um, we were distant from each other, but we were praying as a group. And, uh, and I appreciated, or, or at least my ears pricked up, when I heard people talk about being transformed by Jesus or being transformed by the Spirit. And it's true that um, we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, but not everyone is being transformed by the Holy Spirit. So... We need to be encouraging one another to be transformed and we need to be um, seeing that in each other's lives and being encouraged. Uh, Years ago, I was discussing theology with a friend and he said, uh, we were discussing theology, we were discussing the Bible, I can't remember exactly what we were discussing, but he just turned to me, looked me in the eye and he said, yes, Stephen, but do you love people? And that really challenged me. I was reading the script, we were talking about theology And he just said to me, but do you love people? And I appreciate that kind of encouragement as a Christian, as a believer. I appreciate that kind of encouragement. Another time, uh, I was at a worship event. It wasn't a church service, it was a worship event. And I saw my friend, who normally uh, is is very animated in worship, very, you know, normally raises his hands and things, but he wasn't today. He seemed a bit down. Uh, Didn't seem to be really into the worship. And so, I wouldn't do this to everyone, but I knew him quite well. And so I came, came beside him and I lifted up his hands and kind of, it's basically saying, without words, you should be worshipping. And he came up to me later and he said, uh, Stephen, I really appreciated you doing that because uh, you just reminded me that even if I'm not feeling it, God is worthy of worship. I remember um, uh, there was a, at Servants Church, there was a South Korean uh, woman. She used to bring her, her family uh, to church and she would generally keep to herself. But I tried to always make a point to, to talk to her and engage with her. 
And it was one of her last weeks and she came up to me and she thanked me personally for some of the, uh, the love and encouragement that I had given. It, I mean, I hadn't purposely, you know, I had purposely tried to speak to her, but, um, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to be anything that I wasn't. Um, and she thanked me personally for that love and encouragement. And she was worried that she wouldn't find that same love and encouragement back in South Korea when she was returning. And she just, she thanked me that I was non-judgmental as well, which I, uh, I remember, I, that stuck with me. And that I was just trying to encourage her in her, in her seeking uh, for answers. And so I, I, I just think about these, these, this kind of Christian encouragement that we should be surrounding ourselves in good Christian encouragement. That we should be encouraging each other to worship, encouraging each other in the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Encouraging each other, uh, not judging each other, but lifting each other up. Anyway, back to the text, verse 5 to 9. Let's have a look. Verse 5 to 9, it says, He even followed their counsel and went with Jehoram, who was later known as Joram, FYI, uh, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to make war against Hazael, king of Syria at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram, and he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that he had received at Ramah. When he fought against Hazael, king of Syria, and Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was wounded. But it was ordained by God that the downfall of Ahaziah should come about through his visit to visit Joram. For when he came there, he went out with Jehoram to meet Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. And when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he met the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who attended Ahaziah and he killed them. He searched for Ahaziah and was captured and he was captured while hiding in Samaria and he was brought to Jehu and put to death. They buried him for they said, he is the grandson of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart and the house of Ahaziah had no one able to rule the kingdom. So in verse 5, verses 5 to 9, or in verse 5, we see uh, our, our king Ahaziah of Judah, this king, um, teaming up with the evil king of, the, of Israel. This is in a big contrast again to a few chapters ago in chapters 18, when Jehoshaphat teamed up with, with the king of Israel. He inquired first for the word of the Lord. It says in chapter 18, verse 4, he inquired first for the word of the Lord. But here, there's no sign of that. From Ahaziah, there's no seeking the Lord. Am I doing the right thing? Are these team ups good? Uh, is this a good uh, partnership to make? And what happens? I mean, to, uh, to cut a long story short, God was allowing Jehu, son of Nimshi, to bring down uh, the, the country of Israel. And uh, and basically, our, our king, the king of Judah, Ahaziah, gets caught in the crossfires. He's there, he's, he's on their side, and so he ends up being killed by just because of he, he teamed up. Now, if he hadn't teamed up, be sure, he wouldn't have died. If he hadn't teamed up with the evil king, he would be alive. I sometimes wonder how that is in our, in our lives as well. Sometimes we're, we're Christians and we sometimes think, oh, well, I can... I mean, this doesn't happen to me particularly, especially not anymore. Um... I can go to a club. This is the example I'm using. Um, I can go to a club and, uh, and I can just have one or two drinks and I'll be fine. 
And you may be surrounded in other people drinking and dancing promiscuously. And, and you may think, oh, I'm not going to be tempted. I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to this. I'm not going to that. But just being in that kind of environment by teaming up with people doing things that you know aren't godly and aren't good. It's very easy to get caught up in the crossfire of sin. Be caught up in those consequences. Be faced with temptations that other, you wouldn't otherwise have been faced with. And so I think in our lives we need to make sure that we don't let ourselves get distracted or even hurt by spending time with other people and facing their, uh, the consequences of their sin. Now we should be comforting them and we should be showing them love, but we should be showing them the right way of living too, by our example. And so if we, get, if we, if we team up and we participate in their sin, we, we're going to get caught up in the crossfire of it. We're going to get hurt and we're going to have to face those consequences. Right, so looking at the last three verses now, verses 10, 11 and 12, let's read. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram and wife of Jehoiada the priest, because she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them six years hidden in the house of God while Athaliah reigned over the land. So as we saw before, Ahaziah has been killed he, uh, there's no, there is one son, uh, there are probably a few sons, but they're all far too young to rule. And so the king's mother thinks, I'll do it. And she actually starts to destroy and kill her own grandchildren. Talk about wicked. This is the same person who killed, uh, who, who encouraged a previous king to, uh, to kill all of his brothers. And now she's killing all her grandchildren so that she can have a sure grasp on the throne but we see that uh, the, the author of the chronicles never even sees her her reign even though it was for six years he never sees her reign as legitimate it doesn't say uh, that once his reign was established as it does with the other kings it just says that she was there and she was killing but one son was preserved and preserved by one woman. So you see a contrast here, don't you, between the one evil woman who's killing all her grandchildren to one woman who is saving this one child and keeping him safe. And, and what's the influence? I mean, we talked a lot today about influence and surrounding yourself in good counsel. What's the influence here for, uh, for this good woman, Jehoshaphat? Well, it says that she was the wife of Jehoiada, the priest. And again, this is the only time, even though the priesthood is really important in this book, it's the only time in these chapters that the priesthood has been mentioned. And, uh, and it's in the case that the priest, uh, the woman who married a priest is the one that's doing the saving and redeeming, um, not redeeming, just saving and bringing this child into a safe place. And so where is safety found in this passage? Safety found, safety is found in the people that are still following after God. And this son, Joash, this, this small boy, is being kept in the house of God. 
in the temple of God, this place where he can, there's, an, there's enough privacy and enough sanctity still left, I suppose, that he will be safe for years. Uh, and it is, it, it's really key that the child is hidden in the temple, the presence of God. Whilst, every, whilst this, this crazy woman, this crazy, I say a crazy because she killed her grandchildren, crazy woman is, is trying to rule the kingdom with an iron fist, there is one safe place to be for this boy. And that is in the temple, which symbolizes the presence of God. And John talked about last week how Jesus is, our, is the temple now. Jesus is where the presence of God truly dwells. Jesus is where the glory lives. And so we are called in the New Testament to dwell with Jesus, to live in Christ and so whilst the chaos is going around us, maybe, maybe you think there's illegitimate kings and maybe you think that the way the world is being ruled is a mess and maybe you think all sorts of things are terrible and you, what are we to do? We are to be hidden with Christ. And hopefully the verses are on the screen here. It says, talking about being a new creation, it says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you die to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So where do we end this and where do we fit? Well, I want to be in that safe place where Joash is. I want to be hidden in the presence of God. And praise God that there is something to look forward to. Just like Joash is going to come, spoiler for next week, Joash is going to come. Jesus is going to come back. Um, and he will be revealed to the whole world and we're going to share in his glory. So praise God, I thank you for listening and being patient. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. But I want us to stay uh, sober-minded for a second. I want us to stay focused and I want us to just think about a few things. I was calling my energy supply the other day and it said, press one for this, press two for that, press three for that, and press four for that. And I want us to imagine that we are talking to God now. I want us to spend some time whilst Abby plays a song. Uh, I don't want you to, to sing along. I just want you to be praying. And I want you to pretend that you've, that you've called God and... Uh, and it says this, so bear with me. It's a bit cheesy, but, but try and be with me. Press one if you want to know that Jesus has taken away all your sin and all your shame and has given you a fresh start. Press two if you need to be reminded that there's no condemnation in Jesus. And press three if you want to be confident in your position in Christ, if you want to be reminded of his inheritance, and press four if you're just desperately waiting for Jesus to come back, and if that's just what you want to pray for, you want to just pray for Christ's return. So you pray for those four things. You want to pray for one, that you can be given, given a, that you can be given a fresh start today. Press two, to be reminded that there's no condemnation in Jesus. Press three, 
if you want to remember who you are in Christ, a son of the living God, or press four if you just want to focus for a few minutes on the fact that Jesus is coming back and will make all things right. This my inheritance will never spoil or fade until he comes my salvation in heaven kept by faith. This my inheritance, God's power be its shield through Jesus Christ, the only light by which it is revealed. Oh. 
Father, thank you so much for making a way for us to have our sins forgiven. And Lord, not just forgiveness, but freedom. That you've provided that through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for anyone who might be watching this who hasn't turned from their sin and put their faith in you. Lord, may today be the day of salvation for them. May they know that you are willing to forgive, willing to restore, willing to set free. And Father, for the rest of us that do know you, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to continue to cry out to you. Lord, we do say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want you to come back. We want to live in a place where righteousness dwells. And so we pray, Father, that you'd help that to happen. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Couple quick announcements, guys. That I did. I, I now remember. Uh, this Friday is Good Friday, and so we are going to have a live stream Good Friday service, 5 p.m. So 5 p.m. Friday, Good Friday ser service will be live streamed. Easter service is as uh, as always, 10:30 uh, on this Sunday, Easter Sunday. And because it is uh, the Holy Week, today's uh, uh, Palm Sunday, uh, we really want to encourage you guys uh, to uh, to take this week. And if you're not already doing this, specifically take some time. Let's take some time as Servants Church to pray and fast. Pray and fast for the situation that we have, uh, that we find ourselves in now in this, in this world. But also just pray and fast that God would prepare our hearts to, to see afresh uh, His goodness and His grace through His death and resurrection this weekend. And so uh, if you're, if you're able-bodied, you're able to do without food, uh, we know some people can't do this, but if you are, we encourage you to at least one meal a day, uh, not eat, skip that time, and go get alone and seek the Lord. Or if you're doing this as a family, stop one meal uh, a day and just kind of get alone with God. Uh, or you may choose as well to do a whole day. But we just really ask that you would do this, that you would say, uh, take some time to seek the Lord. And let's, let's be open to what God wants to do in our hearts uh, during this holy season. Also, uh, the Q&A is still going on. We, uh, ben and I recorded the first Q&A podcast. It'll be uploaded, Lord willing, on Tuesday. That's going to be a weekly thing for us. And so we pray, keep getting, uh, we pray that works for you. It, it benefits you, but also keep getting those questions in uh, to us. And we'll have more episodes. I, I suspect on the first episode, you'll be going, come on, John, get to the juicy bits. We're going to get to the juicy bits. Don't worry. But let's, above all things, keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen. We'll see you guys soon.